Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Huge thank you again for everybody that was involved in worship this morning. We are blessed as a church. Amen. And someone even remembered to put the podium down to short guy status. Whoever did that, thank you. Appreciate it. It's good to be up here, uh, to be able to preach God's word. Um, we're going through our, our new series, The Church Under Siege. It's out of the book of 2 Peter with the tagline, Let us not be fooled. It's easy with so much information out there and so many different ideas and philosophies for Christians to be fooled. So uh, Peter writes this book to a group of uh, Christians that, that were uh, dealing with a lot of false teachers and a lot of false teachers infiltrating the church. So that's why it's entitled, Let Us Not Be Fooled. Matt did a great job last week starting us off with his divine power. Because if we're going to understand about the church and how we will not be defeated what a great way to kick it off by learning about his divine power. Because of God, his divine power transforms us and saves us forever. It's a great way to kick this series off. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much that you are the giver of all good things. And Lord, just like that song that we just played, Lord, you will not relent until you have our hearts. Lord, you don't want us to just do religious things. You don't want us to just live by a rule book of do's and don'ts. Lord, it's a relationship through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And Lord, that if we put our faith and trust in that, you change us forever. Lord, so we just want to give our hearts to you this morning in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. There was a story that came out of Bolivia around the year 1999-2000, around, around the turn of the century. A homeless man in Bolivia evades police who are trying to tell him he inherited $6 million. This guy's homeless. The cops are just trying to come and tell him, hey, listen, we've been searching for you. You inherited $6 million. His name was Tomas Martinez, 67. Apparently, he thought the police were uh, trying to arrest him due to his alcohol and drug habits. He had gotten himself into a little bit of trouble before. So when he saw the cops, boop, he was out of there. The cops have been looking for this man for some time, but he just disappeared without a trace. The inheritance came from Mr. Martinez's ex-wife, Ines, and I would not even try to pronounce her last name. I should have had Pastor Israel help me with that before. But anyways, from his ex-wife, who she, in fact, inherited money from her family. So he had no idea that his ex-wife was even uh, rich before apparently she passed away. But she left it all to him, which is strange. So this lucky, unlucky man has never been found to this day. Now, there's so many parallels that we can look at this story that we could draw. So many parallels between this story and the gospel. Let me ask you this this morning, church. If, if God gave me the power and the means to 
by, let me spoil it for you, he has not. I'm just a knucklehead like the rest of you guys. But if he gave me the power and the means to offer you one of two things this morning, either $6 million, and I would snap my finger and it would be in your account this morning, or eternal salvation, what would you choose? Now, the easy church answer this morning would be, yes, it's all about Jesus, right? But if you pick one, you forfeit the other one forever. If you choose eternal salvation, you will never be rich in this world. If you choose the $6 million, you will forfeit eternal salvation. That's the deal. It's easy to say that this morning, theoretically. How easy would it be to say that if it was an actual deal. But most of us understand that God has given us way more than $6 million. Amen? Amen? He's offered humanity a way to be made right with him for eternity. But it's strange because you have two of the, you know, you have the, the world outside who are unbelievers, who are like that homeless man, and God is just trying to offer them eternal salvation, but they don't want anything to do with them. Because maybe they think maybe it'll cost them a little bit of their freedom. But then you also have Christians, and we're going to get in a little bit of that, that have received this $6 million and for some reason went and buried it in a hole and forgot about it. That's why this morning's title of, of the sermon is God's Riches. God has given us so much more than $6 million. Like uh, Mike says sometimes, it's awesome if we just stopped at salvation and we just said, hey, God saved us. That's worth way more than $6 million. But he didn't stop there. And that's what's awesome about our God. Living the Christian life is very hard. There will be temptations. There will be trials. But we get to live such an abundant life, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 15. We're going to go through these verses uh, to find out why this is true. Starting in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. But I think it's right as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up in a by, uh, by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will, soon, will be soon, 
as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall these things. If we took these 11 verses and we condensed them down into one main idea this morning, we would get this. We all benefit from the riches of God when practicing the virtues that strengthen our faith. We all benefit. And I'm talking about even beyond salvation, even beyond the blessings of the riches of salvation, we all benefit from the riches of God when we're practicing the virtues that strengthen our faith. Let's break these verses down to see why that is true. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8 first. See, Peter starts out by giving this, this contrast, this, the effective Christian life um, versus the ineffective, the fruitful versus the unfruitful. He says this, For this very reason, make every effort to, su- to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these, if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he starts off uh, by saying something very important, then he goes into a list. Whenever you see any chunk of verses starting with, for this reason, or it, sometimes it'll say, therefore. It's talking about this big idea, and because of that big idea, we're doing this thing. So we have to figure out this very reason, what is that reason? Well, we could go back to Pastor Matt's sermon last week. You guys remember it all, right? The, the this, and for this very reason is that through Christ and our faith in him, he has saved us and transformed us forever by his power. He has done all the work through his power, through his plan. When we put our faith and trust in him, he takes care of the rest. So it's for this reason, it's because of what God has done for us. It's for this reason we make every effort. We make every effort to supplement our faith. The word supplement there means to add to or enhance. Now, this is where it gets really tricky because, you know, in the church we get this idea, is it, you know, is it by faith? Is it by works? Is, should we be working towards something? Where does the sovereignty of man and, or the sovereignty of God, because there is no sovereignty of man, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, where does that, that, that meet? How does that commingle? Well, think about this. We're given everything we need, but are we using what God has given us to the fullest extent? God has given us, he's given us faith, he's given us everything that we need, the power to live holy lives, but are we as the church using that to the fullest extent? It's like I said before, some of us are like that homeless guy in the fact that we're out there and someone has done something amazing for us, but we were smart enough to stop and to listen and to find out that we have an inheritance 
We don't have to live on the street anymore. Spiritually think, you know, speaking. But like I said, it's like some of us went and we took that and we went and buried it in a hole somewhere and we were just, we just stopped there. Well, we're millionaires. It's cool. I'm going to go back to living on the street. I have the six million. Peter's telling us, don't do that. Make, because of what God has done for us, make every effort to enhance your faith, to use what God has given you. He, he, he continues in verse 5, and he's, he's basically saying, if you want to live a fruitful life, holy, victorious, strengthen your faith by doing these things. And he kind of gives us a list. And if you notice, this, this list, it's not like the most perfect, exhaustive list on how to be the perfect Christian, but it's pretty good. And they all kind of support each other in this chain that one strengthens the next. So it's a pretty good list if you're looking for one on how to be an effective, fruitful Christian. The first thing he says is strength, uh, supplement your faith through virtue. With virtue. Virtue means to just to perform a good act. A virtuous person is honest. They're giving. You're, you do good things. That's, you know, that's a virtue. But it, it's kind of a little bit more than that because as Christians, we're asked to go above and beyond the normal world. We're supposed to forgive our enemies. We're supposed to love the unlovable. We're supposed to do things that are way more virtuous than the normal, everyday person. We're all given these gifts by God as far as what's in this list and the ability to do those things. But we have to practice them. So Peter says, supplement your faith with virtue. And then he goes on and says, supplement your virtue with knowledge. Knowledge is truth properly compre comprehended and applied. Finding out, dil diligently seeking out the truth of God, comprehending it, and then applying it to your life. Supplement your virtue with knowledge. Then he goes on to say, supplement your knowledge with self-control. Self-control is self-restraint, like an athlete. My wife and I just bought a treadmill yesterday. We're getting back on the horse. But you know what? It takes work. It takes effort. The, this is not much different. Listen, self-control is really hard. Yes, there are things as Christians we should do, and there are things we should not do. Amen? Amen. We should try to figure out what God wants us to do and what he wants us not to do. That comes from seeking him diligently in knowledge. See how these are all connected? He wants us to supplement our self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness is patience or enduring to do what is right. The Bible says don't grow weary in doing good. It's hard, right? It's hard to always do the right thing. It's hard to do the thing that you know you're supposed to be doing. You know it's good for you. You know it's good for everybody else. But let's just be honest. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. Practice steadfastness. Next he says, 
to supplement steadfastness, practice godliness. Now that's a, sometimes it's a misconstrued word as we were talking about in our small group the other night. Godliness isn't, hey, I'm going to be godlike. Godliness is basically to live reverently, loyally, and obedient towards God. You're just being reverent. You're seeing God as the ultimate authority, and you're willfully just submitting yourself to what he's calling you to do or what he's calling you not to do. Practicing godliness. Listen, we shouldn't have to ask God for anything more than he's already given us. He, you see, something happens when we're saved, when, again, when you, you, know, you, re, you understand that you're a sinner lost in sin, you repent from that sin and you turn towards Jesus who died on the cross for you and paid that price for you, and you put your faith and trust in him. There's something amazing that happens. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. You become spiritually alive. You become, Paul puts it in in Corinthians, that you become a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come alive. That's a pretty amazing thing, amen? So to be able to practice these things, being spiritually alive, being able to understand now spiritual things, having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, this list starts to not look so daunting. When we properly have God in the proper context of who he is and who we are and submit to his authority. And that leads to brotherly affection, brotherly kindness or mutual sacrifice for one another. Listen, if we're living to please God, we will heed the call to sacrifice to help one another. As I said, these things are all connected. It all goes together. And it's all, all these things are what God is calling us to do so we could benefit from each other. The last one he mentions in that list in verse 7 is supplement your brotherly affection with love. Now, love usually in the Bible means to meet someone's need. Like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He met man's greatest need. That's what love means. Love here is kind of described a little bit differently. Coming off of brotherly affection, love here means to overlook things done against you by a brother. How hard is that? Do you believe what that person said to me last week? Oh, I'm going to carry that around. I'm going to be upset by that. They were just so mean. Do you see what they did to that other person? Did you hear about that? So-and-so in their conversation? We do that, and we, we hold that against people. But then you have to look at it this way. How many things in your life, God, who sees everything, knows your every thought, how many things do you think that he's overlooked in your case? Now, amen, brother. Amen. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't take sin serious. Don't get it twisted. But how many things, how many of these little things, he's like, that's my child. Oh, why'd you do that? I'll overlook that. Hopefully, you know, you repent of that and you're forgiven and you move on. 
See, when we start to look at things in that manner, again, this list doesn't seem so daunting. But God calls us to love each other in the same way he loves us. And we are to make every effort. Peter's saying, for this reason, because of what God has done for us already, we make every effort to do X, Y, and Z. Why? Because of what God has done for us. He says in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So one, because of what he's done for us, and two, because he wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be effective as Christians in our walk. He wants us to live in a way that helps the others around us go, they're different. There's something about that person that's different. I want to know about this God that they worship. Or look how awesome it is the way these Christians treat each other. That is not always the case. I have actually heard people close to me, like uh, you know, people I work with, go, if that's what Christianity looks like and that's what a Christian is, I'm doing just fine. It's very important that we're fruitful and that we're effective as Christians for our benefit. If we're not practicing these things, we're actually limiting what God can do through us. We're almost kind of forfeiting some of our relationship with God. Those are terrible thoughts. I don't know about you, but I want to be a fruitful Christian. Do you? going to take effort. I want to remember that because of what Jesus did for me, and it's not a, that I owe him. I can't ever pay him back. It's what spurs me on to remember what he did for me that spurs me on to want others to be a part of that. Brings us to our first point. God has given us faith and the means to grow in it. An effective Christian practices these qualities to grow their faith. God does all the work. It's not even all on us. All we have to do is just be obedient and practice these qualities that God is asking us to practice so that we could grow our faith. And we're going to get into the, the why later. Moving on to verses 9 through 11. See, lacking in these qualities has serious effects. In verse 9, Peter starts out by saying, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying right off the bat in verse 9, if we're not actively pursuing and practicing these qualities, it's like we've forgotten what God has done for us. We, we do that a lot as Christians. We do that as a lot as human beings. Somebody does something nice for you, and then later you're like, you just, you're excited about it for a minute, and then you're like, 
oh yeah, what has that person done for me lately? It's sin. It's the human condition. It's just kind of what we're about. But we've got to remember God has forgiven us. He's cleansed us. He's given us a new heart and mind that wants to please him. But listen, if we're pursuing the things of the world, we're practicing those things, those old things that he's delivered us from, rather than pursuing him, it's like we return to those things that he saved us from. We start going back and giving in to things like fear and greed and anger and lust and apathy. I think out of that list, apathy is almost the biggest killer because there's just not a lot you could do about apathy. Did you know that nobody cares about apathy? It's just so hard to move somebody that's apathetic. They're just like, meh. Yeah, I know. Jesus died for me. Big whoop. It's awesome. I guess it's cool. But when we're not practicing these things, we forget and we return to those things. We let these things again, you know, things like fear and greed and anger and lust. I mean, these are big deals. It's almost like a prisoner that's been freed from their jail, their jail cell and they turn around and they walk back in because it was comfortable. God has freed us from those things. He doesn't want us to return back to that. Then Peter kind of encourages here in verse 10. He says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, some people in verse 10 look at that and they're like, okay, so I need to work to confirm my salvation. No, absolutely not. And this is what's, what's really cool. Well, first of all, you can't lose your salvation. If you remember correctly, as I was saying before, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside you. You're made a new creation. I don't understand how you can lose that. Because if you were once dead spiritually, now you're made alive. God lives in you and he's given you a new heart. How does that go away? I just never got that. So God's not calling us to save ourselves or work in our own strength, but he's at Right here, Peter's asking us to check ourselves. See, just like that homeless man, think about it. If he would have stopped and he would have received that $6 million, would his life continue to be the same? Would he still be looking for food out on the street? Would he still be trying to find a place to sleep? Would he, would he still, or would his life be completely different? He would be probably up in the penthouse, you know, of a, of a hotel ordering room service. Amen? So here's the thing. We're asking, Peter's asking us to check ourselves. Confirm your calling and election. This is not for God. This is for us. Confirming our election is to give us confidence and remind us whose we are and what we are. We're confirming to ourselves because I want to do things that please God, that helps to spur you on to, to do other good things. And it's not, again, like you're trying to pay God back. It's you remembering who God is and who you are in Christ. That's an encouraging thing. See, it reminds us that we've been forgiven We've been loved. 
We've been sacrificed for so that now we can forgive and we can love others and we can sacrifice for others. See, living like him is proof that in a way that we are his, but it also spurs us on to be fruitful and effective for the kingdom. Brings us to our second point. Practicing these qualities confirms that you are his and allows you to live a more abundant life. Now, when the Bible says something like, I, you know, when Jesus says, I came so that you could have life and have it abundantly, he's not talking about money. He's talking about the fruitfulness and the effectiveness that you can have in your life through him. Amen. And then we're reminded by our main point. We all benefit from the riches of God when practicing the virtues that strengthen our faith. Think about how Peter has already brought us through this. If you're going to do this because of what God has done for you, and practicing all these things not only grows your faith, confirms you are his, but it allows you to be more effective to people around you. Picking back up in verse 12 through 15. Here's what's awesome. We need each other to remind us of this truth. Peter says in verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as though our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is simply saying it is so important, not only that we learn these things, but that we encourage each other to do these things. I love how he uses uh, the term stir up. We, we need to be, uh, Peter wants to stir them up by way of reminder. I, I think of almost like, like a hype, hype man or like a coach getting ready to, you know, lead his team out of the locker room into battle. Now, let me ask you this. If, if you have ever heard those coaches' speeches, and I've given them, I, I coached uh, girls lacrosse for like five years, and you want to just build those, your team up. You want to get them hyped. You want to get them stirred up. Are you telling them anything that they don't already know? Not very likely. What you're doing is that you're reminding them, hey, listen, we got an awesome quarterback and our defense is going to crush them and we're going to go out there and we're going to take the field and we're going to kick their butts. Right? He's stirring them up. But he's not really giving them any new information. Like, oh, wait, we didn't know we had a good quarterback. So Peter's saying, listen, I know you guys know these things. I understand you're established in this truth, but we need to encourage each other by reminder. We were once uh, involved in a small group years ago, and uh, we were studying Hebrews. And uh, I think it was chapter 10, and it talked about how we need to consider ways to stir each other up. He, uh, Paul kind of used, or the writer of Hebrews, uh, kind of used this verbiage. We need to consider ways to stir each other up, to hype each other up. 
And there was this one guy, Bob, who uh, hosted it at his house, and he was a great guy. I miss them. They uh, have since have moved north, uh, back up north. But it was so awesome because he saw that, and he's like, stirred up. He's like, I kind of like that. So he's like, you know what? You know what we should do? Like during this following week, because we would meet at his house on a Friday night, he's like, during this next work week, we should like call each other and just stir each other up, like off, off the cuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we were like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So I'll never forget, I think it was like a Tuesday morning, and I'm just kind of like, oh, Tuesday morning. My phone rings, I'm like, oh, that's Bob. Hey, Bob, what's up? And I hear, stir it up, click. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world was that? Stir it up. He just wanted to remind me, be encouraged. It's awesome. I have your back, brother. It's Tuesday morning. Nobody's thinking about church on Tuesday morning, except for maybe pastors. But he wanted to remind us. Stir it up. I just thought that was great. And by the way, what a great opportunity to encourage you. If you're not part of one of our small groups, that's where you grow as a Christian. It's good to come here and be a part of this and hear good music and hear good preaching. But man, get involved in one of our small groups. Heather and I were driving home uh, Wednesday night and we were just talking about how awesome it was that, you know, God reminded us of a, of a few things and we just left there really encouraged and it's just awesome. That's where you grow. So I got to plug that selfishly. Verses 14 and 15. He, Peter talks about he knew that he wasn't long for this world, but he wanted this to continue, this stirring up, this being reminded way after his, his passing, which is kind of cool because that's kind of what we're doing right now, right? Some 2,000 years later. See, that's why we're all about know, grow, go. That's... I, I, until you're sick of hearing it, we're going to keep saying, no, grow, go. We want you to be encouraged to truly know God. This is so important. Because as, the, the, as our series says, the church is under siege. You know what? The true God's not being preached out there. We want you to know what God expects from you or know what, how to have a relationship with him and, and, and grow in that. Grow your faith. Grow your faith by practicing these things. And then go affect other people's lives. That is what a true disciple is. Brings us to our third point. The riches of God must be made known and continue to be taught so that others may benefit from them. These things are the riches of God. They have to be made known and they have to be continued to be taught so that others can benefit from, from hearing them, from seeing them being put in practice from seeing God affect people's lives. As Mike comes up and as we close, I know it's so hard, especially when you see a list like that and you start to think about the do's and don'ts of God. Let me just remind you guys, church, every single thing that's in this 
book of books. All the do's, all the don'ts are for our benefit. God's not going to take anything away from you that's going to enhance your life here on earth. Although he's more concerned about your eternity. But we're reminded, our first point was God has given us faith and a means to grow in it. An effective Christian practices these things to grow their faith. If faith is God's fortune, why wouldn't we want to benefit from it? Why would we want to take this awesome idea and hide it? Why would we not want others to benefit from it? Could you imagine if church-wide, the church meaning the big church, the globe, if everybody started to practice things like self-control and steadfastness, which is always striving to do what's right, brotherly love, which is sacrificing for each other, unconditional love that overlooks the flaws of your brother, what would the world look like? Let me ask you, are these virtues increasing or decreasing in your life? Because there is no neutral ground in this. You are either increasing in these practices or you're decreasing in these practices. second one was practicing these qualities confirms that you are his and allows you to live a more abundant life. Like I said, if we're not actively pursuing and practicing these things, we've actually forgotten what God has done for us. When we practice these things, we benefit from it. Others benefit from it. It also keeps the destructiveness of sin at bay in our lives. lives that are marred by sin. God has saved us from those things. Do you see evidence in your life that you're His? Well, then we need to start living like sons and daughters of the Most High. Amen. Third, the riches of God must be made known and continue to be taught so that others may benefit from them. This is so important. This truth Yes, we can come here and we can preach the same verses three weeks in a row and get something different out of them because God's word is alive. So, yes, we've heard some of these things before. But you know what? We need to be reminded and encouraged. Church, stir it up. God has given us so much and we need to be reminded of that constantly. So what are you doing to actively pursue God and His truth and make it known to others. Last, our main idea, we all benefit from the riches of God when practicing the virtues that strengthen our faith. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord, that you saved us, you gifted us, and you empower us to live away in the way you're calling us to live. Lord, if there's someone here that has never known the riches of God, I pray you speak the truth to them today. If they would understand that they are hopelessly lost in sin, but Jesus paid the price on the cross to save them. If they put their trust and faith in him, they too can be saved and enjoy these riches. 
I also pray for all the believers sitting here, including myself, to remember whose they are and what we are in Christ. We are children of the Most High God, and we need to commit to living like it. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.